Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Revelation, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 12. Revelation 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head, seven diam, uh, on his heads, seven diadems. He swept with his tail a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, who was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Well, notoriously, the book of Revelation, as you well know, is, if you've been in the church for any time at all, a very difficult book. A lot of times, people feel like they've made it through uh, the the rest of the Bible, and they get to the book of Revelation, and they say, what on earth? Uh, And there are all sorts of different interpretations of the book. Some people see the book of Revelation as consecutive plot. Uh, first you have uh, this, then you have that, and you have the millennium. And after the millennium, you have the everlasting kingdom. Uh, for, there's the tribulation period, uh, the rapture, and so forth. A lot of, a lot of people uh, believe that the book of Revelation follows this sort of plot line, a consecutive plot line. But 
it actually helps to realize that the book of Revelation is more about snapshots, uh, camera angles from heaven to earth, earth back to heaven, really talking about the same episode, which is the episode we're living in right now. Uh, you can be sure that the book of Revelation would have been of no comfort, of no help whatsoever to the people who first received this apocalypse unless it had something to do with them and their time, not just a future time when there were Navy vessels and other uh, helicopters and other things that could be uh, explained as the fulfillment of these pictures. That's not really what the book is about. The book is about Christ, and it has to comfort the people who first encountered the suffering that the book of Revelation talks about. And and so we're going to look at two scenes. A scene, a shot, it's the same event, but the scene in heaven and the scene on earth. You see, there's a, there's this, the, the sea is calm that separates heaven from earth in these passages. Below, the sea rages, but above, the sea is calm. Above is the temple that stands forever. Below is the temple that can be and will be shaken. And so we look at these two visions as one in heaven and one on earth, and that means that I only have two points. But they're both long. No, they're not. But two points because really uh, this whole passage, this whole chapter can be understood in terms of these two shots, these two camera angles. And I understand Stephen is going to be uh, preaching tonight on Revelation 21. So you'll get the first advent this morning and the second advent tonight. Uh, we didn't plan it. Someone did. But uh, you can look forward to that this evening. The woman and the dragon. The heavenly temple has been opened. The previous verses tell us that. uh, To reveal the very inner heart, the inner sanctum of the temple, the holy of holies. And this is where the Ark of the Covenant dwells. This is the holiest place. Not of the temple on earth. That's just a copy. The holiest place of the heavenly temple where the deepest truths, the deepest secrets of history are revealed to John. It's in that context that he sees this vision of the woman and the dragon. Okay, so we begin with a scene in heaven with this curious picture of a woman in childbirth clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, crown of 12 stars crying in the agony of childbirth. If some of you have grown up Roman Catholic, you may remember those pictures of the Virgin Mary with the 12 stars around her head. And it's a very popular image in Roman Catholic devotion. Is this Mary? As I'll be arguing, in a sense, she encapsulates the whole history of Israel, doesn't she? She is the one chosen by God, the Israelite mother who is chosen to give birth to our Savior. But as we'll see, it really is Israel. The mother is Israel giving birth to the Messiah. She's clothed with the sun. And Psalm 104 verse 2 tells us, You are clothed 
with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. The moon is under her feet, and the Song of Songs tells us, Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? Speaking of his loved one, his his beautiful bride. And then the crown of 12 stars would also have jived with the experience of first century Jewish Christians. Because you recall Joseph's dream, one of the dreams that really brought uh, the consternation of his brothers to a pitch is in Genesis 37 verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Joseph was chosen. He was, it was through his line. The Messiah would come, not because of his merits, but because of God's mercy. And there are eleven stars, but here, The woman is wreathed with 12 stars, the complete house of Israel in all 12 tribes. And she's crying in the agony of childbirth. This is the whole history that we sing about at Christmas when when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, to captive Israel. This this long-awaited Messiah over Centuries and centuries. You may wonder why I chose the Old Testament lesson this morning. Uh, what does that have to do with Revelation chapter 12? Well, it has actually quite a lot, uh, quite a lot to do with it because really what Revelation 12 is all about is the fulfillment of all the hopes and all the years. <laughs> of God's people in this war between the serpent, that ancient dragon, and the woman who would give birth to the Messiah who would crush the serpent's head. That's the promise, right? Right at the very beginning. And the first announcement of the gospel is that Satan would be crushed. He would be destroyed. He would bite the heel of the seed of the woman, but... The seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And all throughout Israel's history, that is the story behind the story, isn't it? Again and again, we we ask ourselves, is this it? Uh, Has Israel grown so unfaithful by apostasy that there's no one left? Elijah's told, no, you're actually not the only one. Seems like it sometimes. Everything seems like it's just whittling down, and Israel is so unfaithful. How can the Messiah come through this line, either through apostasy or through murder? Satan wants to interrupt the childbirth of this Messiah, the seed of Israel, this seed of the woman. And that's exactly what Satan tried to do through his emissary, Queen Athaliah. She, she, she was, uh, behind all of the sorcery and the, the, the idolatry turning Israel to idols. And she killed all of the house of David. 
so that only her offspring could sit on the throne of Israel. Every last king of the royal house had to be killed. But God had other plans. He he snuck away this little kid, Joash. Jehoash means God gives. Isn't that wonderful? God gives. God gives. Even when it looks hopeless, even when it looks like the, the, the Messiah is, has been intercepted by the dragon, he gives. So this little kid, Joash, is hidden under David's own armor. It's like God is giving us 790 years before it actually happens. 790-some years before Jesus is actually born, he is already giving us hope in this coming Savior as one who is of the throne of David, the one who will sit on the throne of David forever, and instead of corrupting Israel, will lead Israel in paths of righteousness and truth. There is a red dragon lying in wait. The other sign he saw in heaven. This dragon has seven heads and and seven diadems. Along with ten horns. Horns are a sign of power. As we read in Daniel chapter 7. After this I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings and a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads. And dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And then in chapter 13 of Daniel, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. These are, these are, are, are clear symbols of power. Satan really is a personal being. And he exercises tremendous power. Albeit under God. You remember, you know, with Job, he couldn't uh, do anything that God didn't allow. As Satan went to and fro upon the earth and in the heavens, even in the courtroom of God, still he could not execute anything that the Lord did not allow. But it's terrible to have someone in heaven accusing the saints day and night, partly because when you have a prosecutor in heaven in God's courtroom, it's hard to disagree with him. It's, it's hard uh, not to find evidence. Uh, this prosecutor has evidence against each one of us lying at hand. And so to have him in heaven is a dangerous place. To have uh, this dragon who accuses the saints day and night. And it's underscored here that this is, this is where his power really lay. Uh, that he accuses us day and night before God himself, the judge of all the earth. This powerful dragon swept a third of the stars, 
down to the earth. And here, I think we're getting now a, 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 a scene set for us going all the way back to before creation when Satan drew a third of the angels with him out of heaven in a mutiny against God. And this is, this is all, if you, if you, if you pan back far enough, you can get the whole history of what Satan is up to. You can get a whole picture of Satan's animosity to God and his purposes and his people. Standing ready to devour the male child is one of the most gruesome images one could possibly imagine. Here is Satan lying in wait. Uh, we, we don't have to be more graphic than the text. Ready to swallow whole this infant that is brought out of the womb of the woman. This male child who will rule the nations. But God gives. This one child, Joash, this one kid hidden under David's armor, fed in, in, in the house of the Lord. Again, all the imagery. Growing up in the house of the Lord. Being hidden under David's armor. Uh, one kid left from the Davidic household. And Queen Athaliah didn't know anything about him. For six years he lived there and, and grew up until... They brought him out to the people and said, here is the king of Israel. This is the king of Judah. And the people shouted, long live the king. And Queen Athaliah, Satan's emissary, along with all of her priests of Baal, were slain. And it was a turning of the page, another episode in which the seed of the woman triumphed over the dragon. But all of it comes to a head here in this Amazing picture in heaven. The woman flees to the wilderness, protected by the Lord, while her child was caught up to God and the throne. He's obviously referring to the ascension. Again, all of these events are not consecutively ordered. They're all jumbled together in a beautiful kaleidoscope. She flees to the wilderness, protected by God for 1,260 days. Now, these numbers are all symbolic, and you, you find in, in the previous three chapters, as well as this chapter, reference to 1,260 days, three and a half years, and 42 months, and a time, times, and half a time. <laughs> yeah, but those, those references to periods of time. Now, I'm not great at math, but even, even I can figure out that this is all the same time period. 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 days, and then I learned that a time, times, and half a time are the same period as well. What's the point being made? The point being made is, using these numbers simply to say, it is a short time. It's, it's not indefinite, but it's not the end either. That there will be a time fulfilled after this. You know, three and a half years isn't four. It will be completed after this. There's still something to come after this, which I, I uh, tend to believe uh, is, is just this great, enormous tribulation. 
uh, we're in the tribulation now, but even a great, a greater intensity where Satan is let loose. And right now he's on a chain so that he cannot deceive the world. But he'll, he'll be let loose for a brief time. And then it won't be three and a half years anymore. It'll be four. And our Savior will come to judge the earth. Now we turn to the scene on earth, beginning at verse 7. And there's a flashback between uh, the episodes of before the world was made and now Christmas. And that is the, the, the struggle between Michael, the archangel, and Satan. Now, relates to verse 4, where we're told he's, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Now, who is Michael? We don't talk a lot about Michael uh, uh, as, as Protestants. It's interesting. He's not, he's not, not, a, not a, a big thing in, in uh, Protestant circles. And that's because there's a, there's a greater defender of the Lord's people. He merely foreshadows. And so we here have an angel who is a type or foreshadowing of Christ the Messiah. In Daniel 10 we read, Then the Lord said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the Son of Man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me. No breath is left. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. Michael has a very important protective role for the people of God. And uh, he's brought back into this story as a foreshadowing of one who protects with greater power and greater mercy even than he. And so Christ is the one who conquers Satan. At last, it is not an angel who can save. Only God can save. And only God can save by becoming human, by assuming our humanity. Only what he assumes can he save. 
And so there is a loud voice announcing this wonderful victory. Christ has accomplished everything that the prophets have announced. Every hope that people had for this seed of the woman is now fulfilled. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. You have a paradox here. Even as they're being martyred, they're cheering, they're astounded, they're, they, they are filled with wonder and praise because the woman has given birth to the offspring who will crush the serpent's head. And where is the dragon? Cast out of heaven. That's wonderful news because that means you only have a defense attorney in heaven, not a prosecutor. That's why they're singing. That's why they're, they're thrilled because no more can, can Satan walk around God's courtroom as he did in the book of Job. God has cast him out forever and all of his angels. We only have Christ defending us, no prosecutor opposing us. That's the good news. That's the best news of all. Whatever persecution we face here on earth, we need to know. That's the ultimate thing. That's the ultimate thing. Not being martyred for testimony to Christ, but not having a testimony to Christ. Not being united to him, not having a savior. And so there's this paradox that Satan is cast out of the heavenly courtroom where he accuses the saints day and night before God, but he brings tribulation to the saints on earth. This is, this is the, the best of times and the worst of times. It's the best of times from the eternal perspective, and it's the worst of times in the sense that, that Satan knows his time is short. Three and a half years, 1260 days, a time, times and half a time. He knows his time is short, and so he is angry and he he persecutes the church. We can at least take pleasure in knowing that Satan's tribulations that he sends towards the church today can only be the result of him knowing his time is short. And he's cast out of the courtroom in heaven. Satan spews out a river of blasphemies. We see in the next chapter what this means. And I saw a beast rising out, rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. This water that he spews out is symbolic of blasphemies. He's just, he's trying to get the church to apostatize, to embrace heresy, to embrace false teaching. He's spewing out All of these blasphemies. But the earth helps the woman. Isn't that beautiful? But the earth helped the woman. Isn't it interesting in this passage, you have the earth helping the woman, you have the the cosmic imagery of sun, moon, and stars, and earth. This is the new creation. The whole heaven and nature conspiring 
to end Satan's futile attempt to destroy the church of Christ. After Satan has failed to intercept the Messiah himself, he goes after the Messiah's brothers and sisters. That's what he's doing now. That's what he's doing with great force, but on a leash. If God didn't have Satan on a leash today, he would be accusing us in heaven, and he would be making it impossible for people to trust in Christ. He would be a deceiver. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's his job description. But God limits what Satan can do so the gospel can progress. And that's the paradox. Satan is mad at us. Mad at God, ultimately. But he's mad at us. He's mad at the church. He goes after the church. But he's not in heaven. He's not in the courtroom that really matters. And the earth helps the woman with the sun, the moon, the stars, and the earth, far as the curse is found. I love the end here uh, because it's 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 so so uh, dramatic. It really does seem like the, a good ending to a movie, doesn't it? Uh, not only do you have this this scene in heaven and this prolonged scene on earth of Christ's incarnation, death resurrection and ascension and return but you have and the dragon stood on the sand of the sea isn't that a great picture there as the credits are rolling up he's just standing there on the sea looking looking out upon the earth don't you kind of wonder what was going through his head I can only imagine as He knew his plot had failed, and his time is short. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let heaven and nature sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Let's pray.